is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, July 10th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott is working from the hangar back uh, near Bristol. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios, Numbuster only working from Seattle. How are you guys doing on this Monday morning? Doing well, Buster. Very excited for the Home Run Derby tonight. One of the great nights on the baseball calendar. Yeah, uh, this rating for this event will probably be the highest that ESPN has for any baseball event pre-playoffs. So people who go, eh, you know, home run derby, it's not that big of a deal. No one watches. No, a lot of people watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited about Pete Alonso being in. Uh, I've got a great story about a conversation I had with him over the weekend. And he's going up against Julio Rodriguez in the first round. The crowd will be in favor of Julio. I used this last year with Pete that, uh, you know, he was kind of like the the Darth Vader of the event last year. And it feels like that's especially going to be the case this year, guys, uh, going against Julio Rodriguez in the first round in Seattle. Yeah, definitely. It feels like Pete Alonso is a Darth Vader. But you know what? I love a good villain. Not that oh. he's a villain. But you know, like if you had, I know, but if you have to play that role, like you got to lean into it. It's going to be fun. Oh, he totally does. And what he said to me over the weekend, uh, you'll hear it later in the show, was uh, there was a lot of fun with that. All right. On Sunday, that was the day of the Major League Baseball draft, the first round. And Ken Griffey Jr., ex-Mariner, Hall of Famer, announced the first pick. All right. With the first pick of the 2023 MLB draft, the Pittsburgh Pirates pick Paul Skeens, right-handed pitcher from LSU. Yeah, and that was somewhat of a surprise. A few weeks ago, everyone assumed that Pittsburgh would choose uh, Dylan Cruz, the power-hitting outfielder for Louisiana State. But Pittsburgh, maybe passing up on a Steven Strasburg-type talent, was not something that they were going to do. Already some speculation about whether or not Skeens will be in the big leagues sometime next year. Cruz wound up going second to the Washington Nationals. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirch and Jessica Mendoza today about the draft. Big news for Taylor's Orioles. Speaking of number one picks in the draft, we got news on Sunday that the Orioles are promoting top prospect Jackson Holiday to double A. He has dominated in the minor league season so far this year in Class A. He had 331, seven homers, 51 RBI, 20 stolen bases. Taylor, I hope they're open-minded the idea of promoting him this year if he earns that versus manipulating service time. What do you think? I kind of feel like for the first time ever, they might be open to it. It's a strange feeling. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, especially they've got a glut of infielders right now. And I'm wondering if the Orioles might make a move here to to offload some of those guys, maybe get Jackson Holiday in the mix a little bit earlier than we anticipated. So uh, very exciting times. You know, you bet on the talent, right? Uh, I mean, you guys are too old to remember this, I'm sure. But when Miguel Cabrera made his debut in the big leagues in 2003, it was kind of it was sometime in the middle of June. And he wound up helping them win the World Series that year because he got a taste of that because the that Marlins front office bet on great talent. And I hope that uh, if Jackson Holiday earns this and it feels like he will, that they at least uh, consider the promotion. Meanwhile. The Orioles finished the first half of the season on a roll. Pitch on the way, fly ball right field, hit pretty well. Kepler back, looking up, it's gone. Aaron Hicks, the former twin, with a 3-1 blast. And the Orioles have scored seven in the inning. And they went on to win 15-2, that from WBAL, Scott Garceau. Uh, The Orioles finished the first half, Taylor, just two games out of first place in the American League East. I know, man. They're they're even with the Rays in terms of losses. Uh, five game winning streak there. I believe they they had a forty four to nine run differential there. So is that good, Buster? Is that good? It's great. And Ooh, let's. Uh, I, like I think you'd agree with me. Go out into the marketplace and see if you can make a deal. Let's you know, do for it. Come on, we're going to win a World Series. <laughs> Padres face the Mets. These two teams have been two of the biggest disappointments. Uh, the Mets have, uh, you know, had some success of late, but the Padres turned around this series at the end. Here's the three and zero. Manny swings, hits it in the air to deep right field towards the corner. McNeil's back, turns around, gonna go. Petco Porch for Manny Machado, his second home run of the day, and a five nothing Padre lead in the fifth. 
Got from 97.3. The fan final score there was 6-2. to two. Cubs, the Yankees. And early on, it looked like the Yankees are going to win this game. Fly ball. Deep right. Suzuki back on the track at the wall. See ya! Back to back for the Yankees. A solo shot for Higashioka. It's 4-1. But the Cubs would come back. Cody Bellinger, the batter. Cubs lead by a run. First and third, one away. And it's a wild pitch. Here comes Nico Horner to score. Clapping his hands as he crosses the plate. Cubs lead 6-4. A lousy series for the Yankees against the Cubs. Aaron Boone, Yankees manager, was very outspoken about what he thinks his team is capable of. These guys, um, what I think we're going to be capable of in the rotation, uh, what I know we're capable of in the bullpen, uh, we're going to continue to get real significant pieces back, um, all that. You know, and we've done all this and are in position with all the, you know, banged up and adversity that we've faced. We're right there. A lot of teams aren't in that position. We are. And, uh, you know, even though it's been a grind and a struggle at times, we also know we're really good. And when we have a chance to be something, you know, we have a chance to have a special team. And that's what we're focused on. Well, actually, right after the game, they were focused on firing hitting coach Dylan Lawson. This is the first time the general manager, Brian Cashman, has ever fired a coach in the midst of a season. The Yankees, 231 batting average, 28th among 30 major league teams, had a, ahead of only Detroit and Oakland. And we're going to be talking about this decision with Tim Kirchin coming up. The Mariners uh, faced the Astros on the last day of the first half, and this is what happened. Two on, one out, one in. The stretch. And the payoff pitch, swinging a line drive into right center field. That's going to get the job done. Here comes Ty in to score. Rounding third, Tasker Hernandez, he'll score. Kelnick hustling into second. The throw to second, not in time. Jared Kelnick with a two-run double into the gap in right center field. And it's now the Mariners three and the Astros nothing here in the top of any number four. Final score would be 3-1 to one there. That from Seattle Sports, 7, 10 a.m. Maybe that'll launch the Mariners into this sort of second half that they had last year as they made the playoffs. We mentioned the Rays. They faced the Braves over the weekend, a showdown of two really great teams. And you know what? The Rays punch back by the end of the weekend. 2-2. Two, two. Swinging a ball hit off the end of the bat to left center field. Over and back is Harris to the wall. Gone! Muscles up. His first home run since May. His 13th of the year. And the Rays have scored seven against Atlanta and lead at 7 2. That from 620 WDAE. It's a cool thing about baseball. You know, the Braves are headed in one direction, the Rays are headed in the other direction, and the Braves, uh, you know, the hottest team in baseball going into recent days. And then the Rays punch back, as I said. All right, Taylor, what else you got? Buster, today I'm positive that there will be a new episode of Hoop, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse and friends, and they are going to be reviewing Victor Wembignana's uh, debut. He was a lot summer. better. Second game. Yeah, yeah. I was the uh, the group chat was exploding, calling him a bust after the first one, but I'm glad to see the the guy bounce back there. A long way to go for him, but exciting to see him uh, play well. You've no. got to reveal. Were you the one who said he was a bust? No, I mean, no, no, one no, game no. Sample size, Taylor. No, absolutely not. It was my friend Matt Miller. He does not listen to the podcast, but uh, that. He was he was calling him a bust all day long, and uh, then everyone else wow. was sure to rub it back in his face uh, last night when they were watching. Well, the only other person consider calling him a bust after one game might be Tim Kirkchen. They're going to be talking with him coming up. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, 
Experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirchner covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, as you know, the big story on Sunday in baseball, the draft. There's so much focus in front offices about the draft. And at the top, we had some drama, a little bit of, uh, you know, surprise based on what was expected, say, a month ago with the Pittsburgh Pirates in the end deciding, you know what, we got to take Paul Skeens, as big of a talent as he is. What would you think? Well, I was told earlier in the day that Skeens would not go number one, not because he doesn't deserve it, but that the Pirates would go and take Dylan Cruz instead. Instead, they went with Paul Skeens, and (laughs) I'm no college baseball expert, far from it, Buster, but when you have a guy who's that good, I mean, we're talking about Ben McDonald good as far as this advanced and this polished coming into the draft uh you got to take him and the the thing i've heard about him buster from more than one person is he's the guy who says i'm going nine innings today you're not taking me out of the game and they tell him well you've thrown 110 pitches he goes i don't care how many pitches i've thrown i'm completing this game and i just love that attitude because we have the industry has convinced brainwash our young pitchers 100 pitches whatever it is we got to get you out of there you're going to get hurt he says no i'm finishing this game so i love what the pirates did taking him first and i think he's going to have a quick route to the big leagues I think it was our old friend Jim Bowden who tweeted this out that he felt like this was the hours before the draft. He said he felt like that the Pirates really had no choice because as a small market franchise, they don't get access to talents like this. They can't sign a guy like this when uh, he reaches free agency. Garrett Cole is not going to sign with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so his feeling was if you get a chance to get a guy like that, then you have to take it. And we know that generally speaking, the small market teams – they value certainty, which is why they typically go for position players early. But this was an exception, though, and I I totally get it. Yeah, and I'm I'm all for taking a pitcher with, <laughs> with the importance of pitching today. When you got a kid who's not just this good but this ready to pitch in the big leagues, I think you have to take him. So. Even though people were wondering, are they going to go with Cruz instead of uh, Skeens? I think they went the right route. I would always go with the frontline starting pitcher unless the position player is, you know, Mike Trout good. And it feels like that Skeens, we're talking about him maybe next May. What do you think? Once uh, they get past the free agent time, get him a little bit of experience in minor leagues. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the big league sometime early next year. What do you think? Yes, and that's what I heard yesterday talking to a couple people, that he's so advanced, he's so polished, he's so, you know, assured of himself. He's not going to be, you know, in any way intimidated by pitching in the big leagues. And the guy told me yesterday he'll pitch in the big leagues in 2024, guaranteed. And he said, and it'll be early in 2024. All right, what did you hear about Dylan Cruz, who went second to the Nationals? I I wouldn't necessarily think he's going to be up next year, though, just because the Nationals are in a different timeline than Pittsburgh now, a little bit behind. Yeah, I talked to a guy yesterday who had him along the way and said his composure is remarkable. Composure is not the first thing you're looking for, but it just means that when things get bigger, he gets bigger. Now, there's a question whether he's the center fielder, I was told. He's played the infield. He's even caught before. I think he's going to be a really good center fielder. I just don't think he's as far along as Skeens is, but he's going to be a star in the league uh, sooner rather than later. So the Orioles finished the first half in great shape. They closed the gap on the Tampa Bay Rays to just two games. And then we got word on Sunday that they have promoted Jackson Holiday, last year's number one overall pick, from Class A to Double A. I got to believe, Tim, that they're open-minded at this point to the possibility of putting him in the big leagues. What do you think? Yeah, I don't see any reason not to. He just had a five-for-five five night the other night. He has soared through the minor leagues and – You know, Buster, I'm a big believer, especially now uh, these days. When a kid's ready, just bring him to the big leagues if you think he's ready. If he's not ready and you have to send him back, it's not going to crush him. And if it does, then he's not the player you thought he was anyway. And the way we move guys up to the big leagues, 
were not that interested in how many minor league at bats they had, like, like we used to care so much about. Um, if he's ready, I would bring him up and look at that infield. If that kid comes up and say late August or something for the stretch run, or my goodness, the talent level on that team, Buster, I did a reds Orioles game the other day and the talent level on those two teams with young talent, it was just breathtaking to watch. So if they did promote him to the big leagues, and you've been around the Orioles uh, and recently in a way that I haven't, if they did promote Jackson Holiday to the big leagues, what do you think their alignment would be? Because I personally think, who cares? If you think the guy can help, and Jackson Holiday is someone who's been around baseball, as you know, his whole life. You and I both saw him when he was like three years old, swinging a bat in the cage with Matt Holiday watching. Uh, if you feel like he's ready, put him anywhere. He kind of reminds me of Miguel Cabrera you know, who was a shortstop early in the days with the Marlins, and then he played third. And then when he was promoted to the big leagues, they stuck him in left field. I would do that. I'm not worried about alignment if I can get that talent to the big leagues. Right. I would put him at shortstop if they're going to bring him up. And we're, we're jumping the gun a little on this. I would put him at shortstop, and then I would play Gunnar Henderson at either second or third because he can do both. I would put him at third as of now. And because I would I would give George, I would give Gunnar Henderson a position to play, even though he's very versatile, very flexible. He can play anywhere. I think he would be better if you just said, all right, you're our third baseman. Jackson Holiday's our shortstop. And we're going from here with this left side of the infield. And then everyone else fills in from there. But man, do they have some talented players on that team, young talented players, most of whom play the infield, which is a really important thing. So if you had to re-pick the, the American League East, and I'm going to give you a mulligan on this one, okay, because I don't even know who your preseason pick was, but odds are, like my pick, it was wrong. If you had to re-pick the American League East, which way would you go at this moment? Wow. Um, I'm going to stay with the Rays. Look, I know the Rays just lost seven games in a row. I'm going to stick with the Rays, even with their injury issues, and say they're going to have enough to win the division. But I picked the Orioles to finish fourth and out of the playoffs because I thought they would win 85 to 86 games. We might have to add 10 more to that. That At least that's how good the Orioles are now. I've got them second. I've got the Blue Jays third. I've got the Yankees fourth. I've got the Red Sox fifth. And yet the Red Sox finished with six in a row, eight out of nine. Uh, that division is a monster, and I still think it's unlikely now, but there's still a chance that four teams, playoff teams, will come out of the East. I think it's only going to be three, but that's how I would redo it. Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Toronto, New York, Boston. What's your sense of whether or not ownership will actually step up and support the addition uh, of you know spending resources to try to augment that rotation, which is clearly – I think the area of concern for the Orioles. Yeah, they need another starting pitcher badly. Some of these, it's amazing how well they played given how bad their starting pitching has been on certain nights. They have to go get somebody, and I think they will because they need to. And once you get people this excited, once you put them through all of this in Baltimore, all the losing, and now you have a real chance to not only make the playoffs, but do something in October, I think they have to go get a starting pitcher. That's easier said than done, but that system is tremendous, and they have people to trade. Taylor, I'm going to give you some 30 seconds to, to beg here, to beg the Orioles ownership to step in and, and surrender resources. <laughs> uh, I won't beg. I'm too. I'm too proud to beg, Buster. But uh, there, there's like I said uh, earlier in the, the podcast, there is a glut of infielders. You know, they could trade a guy like Connor Norby if they're going to bring Jackson Holiday up. They could, they could trade Jordan Westberg. You know, they've got Ramon Urias. He's been pretty good. He's he's a Gold Glove defender. He's got a decent at bat. Jorge Mateo has been relegated to the bench, but you know, he's he's an interesting piece for someone a team that needs speed and some defense. So, you know, they've got some options. I think they should uh, go out and, and utilize them, try and get that starting pitching, although the guys are uh, pitching well. Tyler Wells, he's looking good. Tim, as you were talking about Jackson Holiday, and you talked about, hey, when the guy's ready, bring him to the big leagues. Well, that's what the Reds did with Ellie De La Cruz. And then on Saturday, this is what he did. Figueroa, high leg kick coming to the plate. He'll steal third base. Ellie De La Cruz will without even a throw. 
back to third baseman Brian, Brian Anderson didn't even go. Now he's coming home, and he's safe. He threw the ball back to the pitcher. He fell asleep with the ball in his glove, and De La Cruz took off from third base into home, and he steals home while the pitcher tries to unload the ball to the plate. Couldn't get it to the catcher in time, and De La Cruz has simply stolen a run all by himself. How about that? Tim, three stolen bases, including a steal of home on two pitches. Have you ever seen that? Uh, no, it's been 50 years since anybody stole second, third, and home in the same plate appearance. That's what he did. And Buster, it needs to be mentioned every single time we watch him run. He's 6'4", maybe 6'5". I told you when I saw those Reds guys, I said, this guy might be the fastest runner in the league. And they looked at me and said, might be. He is the fastest runner in the league. That's what's so exciting about him. And it's, But it's more than that, Buster. He doesn't just run. He hits, he hits for power. He drives and runs. He steals bases. He's done everything so far. And it's not a coincidence that the Reds are – really, really good now, and they've been really good since the moment that kid was brought up. The energy he brings to a team that was already energized is just remarkable. All right. Uh, I'm going to make you repick the National League Central because I know you didn't pick the Reds. Neither did I. I picked the Cardinals. Uh, What an idiot I am. Uh, Who would you pick as of today? And I do think that, uh, you know, if you're sitting in the Brewers situation, I think it makes it an easier decision for them to say, you know what? We're looking at the Reds. We're seeing how good they're, how well they're playing. And it's easier for them to market Corbin Burns and maybe Willie Adamas, who's been swinging the bat better of late. What do you think? Well, I have to redo the division. Buster, this is the division that I actually said to myself. I, I got this division when the season started. I got it. This is fairly <laughs> easy. I said it's St. Louis. Uh Milwaukee, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. I was pretty sure now it's pretty much completely opposite. Uh, I like the Reds to win the division. That energy, even though their starting pitching needs some help, uh, the way they play the game offensively. Buster, they had 58 stolen bases last year. They had 50 stolen bases in June of this year and a ton already in July. So I think they're the best team in the division now. I, the Brewers have played very well lately. I don't see the Cubs, Pirates, or Cardinals getting into this thing. So I think it's a two-team race. I think the Reds are going to win this division. But if I'm the Brewers and I've sold this many tickets for this year and my fans come and show up and watch this team as they have, I'm sorry. I can't move the shortstop and I can't move my best starting pitcher. You have to go try to make the playoffs with this team just in case you do make the playoffs. And now with you know, Brandon Woodruff comes back healthy, um, that's, that's a team that's going to be dangerous in October because of the three starting pitchers and the guy at the end of the game. So I, I can't unload if I'm the Brewers. I'm sorry. I have to try to win. They were in first place last year when they traded Josh Hader, as you know, and their clubhouse was incredibly unhappy. Their fan base was unhappy. So that'll be an interesting decision. I have no doubt. You know, we, we asked the question whether or not the Orioles' uh, leadership would actually spend resources to help the team this year. I have no doubt that Nick Crawl and the Reds will do that. You know, that they are going to go out and they will add pitching because they see the opportunity, you know, with an energized fan base. And, uh, boy, that, that, that's going to be fun to watch. This happened on Saturday, Tim. Tigers, Blue Jays. It's a no-ball two-strike count on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Lang. Long look in from the belt. The 0-2 pitch. Swinging a chopper left side. Charging in McKinstry. On the first no-hitter. For the first time in franchise history, the Tigers have thrown a no-hitter, a combined no-hitter. So that uh, that's what happened. 2-0. Matt Manning was the, the starting pitcher. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to the Tigers. Uh, it's great for a team that has struggled in the first half, Tim. But the fact is, I just don't get excited about combined no-hitters in the way that I did. You know, one guy doing it. What about you? Look, I'm always excited about no-hitters, but you got to be realistic, Buster. There have been 20 of them in the history of baseball. Ten of them have come in the last 10 years. Six of them have come in the 2020s and beyond. So this is how it works now, and it's just 
not as exciting when it happens as much as it's had the last 10 years. It's just a new game now. And, and Matt Manning threw great, and he's going to be a really good pitcher, and I'm so happy for him because he's been hurt and everything else. But even he said, no worries coming out of this game because that that's what the industry has done to our starting pitchers. It's, it's a miracle we got a, a, another real no-hitter this year. Perfect game by Domingo Herman because I was starting to wonder, are we going to see another no-hitter with the way that we handle our starting pitchers? So I, I'm excited about a combined no-hitter. But 10 and 10 years, 6 and 20s, it's just not the same. The Yankees finished the first half with another loss to the Cubs. And hours later, Dylan Lawson, their hitting coach, was fired by the Yankees. The first time, Tim, that Brian Cashman has ever changed a member of his coaching staff in the middle of the year. Because he's, I've had conversations with him about this in the past. He doesn't like scapegoating people. He doesn't like uh, you know pointing fingers. But in this case, I think probably where the Yankees landed was, look, we have to do something different because they're 28th out of 30 teams in batting average. And given, you know, the names in their lineup, that doesn't make sense. What'd you make of that? Well, I was surprised because I know Brian Cashman's MO. He never does this. And he came out and said, look, I never do this. But you're right. Something had to be done, Buster. Look, I just told you, I think the Yankees are going to, finished fourth in the division now. But with the way the Red Sox are playing, in theory, the Yankees could finish fifth. If Aaron Judge doesn't come back, imagine the Yankees finishing fifth in their division. I mean, that is now a possibility. Look, they may get hot. Judge may come back. He may tear it up for two months. Unlikely at this point. But yeah, when you when you are in the the state that they're in and the way that they are playing the game right now, they look like the Yankees when they're going poorly. All they do is hit the ball out of the ballpark. They can't find other ways to score runs. Um, I'm not shocked that they did what they did, but even though it was a first for Brian Cash. On Friday's podcast, we talked with a lot of concern about Corbin Carroll had to come out of the game on Thursday with that right shoulder, which is surgically repaired. Uh, He had been sent out for tests. We're waiting results on those. And thankfully, Tim, uh, according to Tori Lovello, their manager, there was nothing that showed up in the MRI. They determined that this was closer to a stinger, uh, an injury you hear about in football and not a major injury and a big exhale if you're the Diamondbacks. Yes? Yes. That guy is in the top five of the MVP voting for this year. He personifies who the Diamondbacks are. Young, hungry, athletic, fast young player. My goodness, has he been great this year. And they really, really need him to have it just be a stinger and nothing more because, as you noticed last night, Buster, the Dodgers took over that division lead. Um, Diamondbacks out of first place for the first time since May the 31st. They they have a real chance to make the playoffs, but it's going to take Corbin Carroll and others being really good the second half to win that division because the Dodgers, with all their issues, are starting to move again. Yeah, and I'd say this too. If you're the Diamondbacks, uh, being a small market team, not having the payroll that the Dodgers can sustain or the Giants can sustain, if you have an opportunity, boy, you, you got to push. And you, you got to try to make it happen when you actually get it. So we'll see how aggressive they are before the deadline. Give me your best story of the first half. Um, the best story of because I tell you mine. They asked me on Sports Center yesterday, and I said, in the year of Otani, he's lived up to the hype. Um, he has been even more remarkable than in previous years, Buster. He he's always the story of the first half because we've never seen anything like him. And what he's doing now is even better than he did two years ago when he won the most valuable player of the American League. And last year, when if it weren't for Aaron Judge, he would have won the MVP again. But this year, as of the other recently, Busters, you know, he was leading the league in homers and leading the league in batting average against as a pitcher. I mean, that's just that's just impossible to do. So all we can hope now is that Blister is fine so we get to watch him play during the second half of the season because the game just isn't the same when he's not out there every day or every fifth day doing something amazing. The biggest disappointment of the first half for me when I did uh, the show yesterday, the St. Louis Cardinals. So going into that game yesterday, had a 416 winning percentage. That represents the lowest Cardinals winning percentage since 1919. And I don't think there's any doubt that they're almost uh, have no choice going forward, but to try to flip assets like, like Flaherty, uh, Jordan Hicks, guys that Derek Gould mentioned on the podcast last week. 
what's the biggest disappointment of the first half for you? Well, it's three-pronged, the Padres, but the Padres have won five out of six. Uh, The Mets, huge disappointment, but they just won six games in a row. So I I agree with you again, Buster. The Cardinals, I thought, were the clear team to beat in the Central, and they haven't recovered at any point this season. And when you look at them, Buster, and you compare their athleticism, their energy level to that of the Reds, oh my goodness, it's not it's not even close at this moment. But And I think they'll move some people. But again, when you've sold 3.2 million tickets for this season and people drive four hours to come watch the regional St. Louis Cardinals play, you cannot trade Arenado, Goldschmidt, Flaherty, and all your best players and say, yeah, come see us in September. Drive five hours to come see us. It doesn't work that way. So I don't think we'll see a full unloading. But I also don't see them getting back in this thing. And I am astonished that we're saying that at the All-Star break. All right, before you go, we've established that you have tremendous credibility when it comes to making predictions. You've nailed all these divisions, gotten everything right. So so give me your home run derby pick. Buster, again, going into the National League this year, I said – I got a real shot to get all six of these right. I think I've got the six playoff teams, and now I might miss four of the six. I might get four wrong out of six. It's really hard to do. Okay, I'm going with Pete Alonzo because I always go with Pete oh, Alonzo no. because he he cares more than anybody else about the home run derby. He wants to win more than anybody else. He preps for it. He loves it. I told you when he did an interview, you were there in game with Ravi and Eduardo during the middle of the home run derby. He he didn't even understand what the questions were because he was in a trance because he was in a trance because of the importance of the home run derby. So I'm going to say he's going to win again one way or another. Yeah, and I will tell this story now. On Saturday, I talked to Pete, and I asked him, have you made any adjustments with your round or your regiment between rounds? And he goes, no, I just plan on hitting more home runs than everybody else. And he very matter-of-fact about it. I just loved him, the fact that he's so into it. How cool is that? This would be like Michael Jordan, you know, being really into the slam dunk contest. And he sets a bar for everybody else. I just love it that on Sunday night baseball, I was there for radio. You were there for TV that he comes on our air. He makes the all-star team. He says, now I'm going to compete in the home run derby just for us. And then he hits a howitzer, the eighth inning in the left center field seat. So typical Pete Alonzo when home runs are uh, in vogue, he's going. Tim, thanks for doing us. I'll see you at the park later. Okay, Buster. Take care. Over the weekend, Mike Cousins caught up with Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles. Let's talk about just going into the All-Star break for the first time, your first full season of the Major Leagues. Where are you physically, mentally, as you get ready for this uh, little bit of time off? Yeah, uh, feeling feeling great. Just going to go into the All-Star break and take a little time because uh, I feel like it's pretty rare in today's game and uh, going to take full advantage of it and just catch up on some rest and some mental rest as well. What do you think going into it, you know that you're going to be up here for a full season of like the adjustments that you said, all right, I, coming into the winter, uh, these are the things that I want to change for my first full season? Uh, just really wanted to, I guess, fill it out. I mean, just get to the developmental side of stuff and just see how my body reacts to the long full season of a um, major league season or my first major league season. So just being able to see that and just um, learn each and every day because I feel like just getting the experience is going to make you the best player you can. So Colton Kalser, who just came up, you guys are good friends. Is there truth to the story that you had to lend him clothes when he came up because they were on the road in Durham? Uh, yes, it is true. I, he wore some of my pants and my shoes that I'm actually wearing today. He wore those uh, his first day here. So. And so you were in New York at the time. So did you tell you have to lend him some money to go out shopping too? No, we're. Uh, I think we're going to go to the mall today. So he's going to get him some stuff. <laughs> but I think he'll better get all his stuff up to Baltimore after the All Star break. And lastly for you, you look at what you've done over the last month. You know, you're hitting the ball harder. You're hitting more line drives, more barrels. Do you feel like something has changed in your approach? Uh, No, I feel like it's been just a long process. It was just uh, hitting some balls hard, having really good ABs, and then it just wasn't falling and just stuck to the process of it. And then it all all started coming together. So I felt like that was the biggest thing is just sticking to it and not getting caught up in the results of everything. And because when you do that, you start to change stuff and then makes it even worse. So 
felt like just trusting it, and uh, they started falling and started to hit some more homers as well. As you go to different ballparks and you play against guys who, you know, a couple of years ago you were watching on TV when you were in the minors, has there been a, a, a coolest moment for you so far? Uh, probably being able to play against uh, Miguel Cabrera and then uh, Mike Trout and Shohei was probably the coolest, coolest three because, I mean, I grew up watching, I mean, outside of Shohei, but uh, I grew up watching the other two, and it was uh, pretty cool to be able to share the same field with them. Well, no doubt there are a lot of younger players looking at you the same way now. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to think about, but that's yeah. cool, yeah. Gunner, thanks so much. Uh, thank you all for having me. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN. She was part of our draft coverage on Sunday evening. Jess, how you doing this morning? I'm doing awesome. This is this is like drinking out of a fire hose. You go from draft to home run derby to the all-star coverage, but it's like everyone from our company is here. It's like a reunion being able to see everybody, and it's a celebration of baseball here in Seattle. Yeah, and for you and for me, too, now that I live on, on this side of the country, it's kind of <laughs> cool not being far from home. It's like... As opposed to New York, it always feels like New York or Boston. Actually, everyone's coming to uh, your part of the country, Jess. Well, it's hilarious. The best is like, everyone's like, gosh, the flights are so long. It took me forever to get out. I'm like, don't even, don't even go there. <laughs> everyone's going to bed at like seven o'clock at night because of the time change. Uh, my biggest thing is it just showcases the Pacific Northwest. I mean, I, I love this area and I'm a California girl. So like I am new to this as far as the last five years of really living up here and just being able to see so many people, obviously in baseball, but come into Seattle in July, there is not a better city. I feel like um, in our entire country in July than this place. And there hasn't been a cloud, cloud in the sky. I mean, just walking along the water, the stadium, um, doing the draft from Lumen Field. And obviously being in uh, T-Mobile Park tonight. Yeah, and I think T-Mobile Park, you know, formerly Safeco, is one of the underrated parks in baseball uh, and probably wouldn't be if the Mariners had had more success on the field the last 20 years. But uh, I love coming up here, and, and it's going to be fun. And I will say, and, we'll, and I'll ask you about the Derby in a little bit here, talking with Adley Rutschman the other day, uh, it, it's pretty clear that part of the excitement for him, for his dad, Randy, uh, part of the pride is the fact that, uh, you know, he is from uh, Oregon, just uh, not far from here. And so that that's pretty cool. And part of me is making part of that. Uh, all that is making me root for him tonight that he can put on a show with his dad. Oh, my gosh. And that he'll have I mean, my sister and her husband, my sister played softball at Oregon State. Her husband played baseball at Oregon State. We're huge 
Well, we have a lot of Pac-12 just in our family and knowing that Adley's from Oregon State, the contingent in the Portland area. I mean, I talked to so many. Just I was sitting in the stands during the draft yesterday. That's like kind of where my spot was. And it's so what's so amazing about being in Seattle is it covers like six states that don't have baseball teams. And, you know, Oregon being one of them, and that's Adley's home state. And so not only is it a chance for them to watch someone that they can't normally go out to Baltimore and be able to see, but the pride that they have of one of their own representing an entire region um, and being able to showcase that at the Derby tonight, is going to be pretty amazing. So top of the draft yesterday, bit of a surprise. The Pirates in the end wound up going with a pitcher rather than position player, giving that a thumbs up or thumbs down. Thumbs up just because of how ridiculous Paul Skeens is. And, you know, they talked about it on the show as far as like the top five guys were already differentiators. Like these five guys are going to go top five. It's just what order are they going to be in? And then there's kind of everybody else. Right. But when you think about Paul Skeens and just how he showed at the highest level, the stuff like you get excited if you're not just a Pirates fan, but a baseball fan of the fact that you're going to see this guy, you could see it as the Pirates are contending. You could see him this year. That's how good he has been. And he himself, and yes, they might not have might not have been pitching that should have been the priority or however you want to look at, but you gotta pick the dude if he's on the board. And I think back to Garrett Cole and when they drafted yeah. him out of UCLA and knowing how like impactful a pitcher can be to your entire organization and ultimately even a, a key trade piece down the road. Give me your favorite backstory from one of the guys who were drafted last night. Okay, so this is hard just because my favorite part of the draft is like really finding the guys first that you want to get the backstory on. And, you know, I hate saying that. Obviously, every player is is super unique, but um, and there's always a story. You know this, Buster. Um, you're one of the best at this is you can talk to anyone in the clubhouse and be like, that's that's a great I want to use that. That's that's really interesting. Um, the thing for me, you know. Jacob Wilson, Jack Wilson's son, getting to know Jack over the years. He lives, when I lived in California, 10 minutes down the road, we used to do clinics together. And Jacob was, you know, five, six, you know, little, little boy, right? Um, It was their family that actually helped influence me to homeschool my own kids because that's what they did when Jack was on the road. So getting to see Jacob, um, interview him, sit down. I was down at the Combine in Phoenix and then have Jack pop in. Um, My favorite story was when they're talking smack about ping pong. First of all, Jacob's like, oh, I beat him every time. And I'm like, really? I have Jack like surprise him, show up. And he's like, oh, okay, I have video proof. You know, just like totally get into it about who's better at ping pong. Um, And just the way that they bantered, you could see this natural love, affection. Um, That was the one thing Jacob said too when he was interviewed right after he got drafted was just how grateful he was of how Jack not only made him a great player, but a great person, understand how to be just a good human. And I don't think that could be a better compliment. You know this, you're a dad um, to any father that's out there. All right, we're kind of doing today a bit of a first half review. Uh, And obviously, besides Shohei Otani, the biggest story in the first half are all these rule changes. And it's been really interesting because on social media, you see older players and, you know, I was texting or uh, tweeting back and forth with Jeff Fry, eight years in the big leagues, very accomplished major leaguer. He doesn't like the rules. And and my point to him was, look, the, the aim was to broaden the audience. And as of today, attendance is up significantly. Ratings are up. People are watching the game longer. I don't think you can say it's anything other than a success, Jess. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. I mean, yes. And I'm seeing it with my own friends, and I'm sure you are too, my my kids that, you know, you go to a game and like they can go and, you know, get a dog and, and like sit down in their seats and really absorb, digest the game. And, and then it's done and you're not feeling like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times everyone I know that, you know, isn't a big baseball fan, but they want to come and enjoy the game. They don't stay for the whole game. They want to leave there. It's boring. It's get long or whatever happens. There's these lull innings that happen starting and usually about the sixth or seventh when all the pitching changes come in but because of the effectiveness you know with the world changes and obviously how quick you know they're pitching the ball things are happening you're seeing more action but there's also a change in the way that the game's being played and you subtly start to see it um, when you watch teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks you watch teams that are being able to utilize you know Tampa the old Bay. school 
yes, Tampa Bay hitting the ball to the right side, move runner over, you know, stealing bases, taking advantage. It, it has changed what you're seeing. And that to me is so important because it makes it exciting. It doesn't make it as predictable, Buster. It was always walk, walk strike out, home run. You're going to see one of those pretty much the entire you know game throughout of bats. And so I just absolutely love that the game is now kind of getting back to what it was, but meeting this new school philosophy as well. So it's a different, more exciting game that's now compacted in two and a half hours. Right. Uh, the, the scoring is up. It's not up huge. It's like from 4.2 runs per per team per game to 4.6 runs, but it's all happening in about half an hour less. <laughs> so yeah. it's accelerated. And I'm going to ask uh, you this question, but I'm going to ask Taylor to, and Sarah to jump in and give me this. Uh, on a scale of zero to 10, with zero being not successful at all, 10 being incredibly successful, where, Jess, would you rate the impact of these new rules? 200. yeah it's the biggest impact in my life that i've seen in any change in baseball yeah and it's been relatively i know we've had moments where that have been ugly but generally speaking it's been successful taylor what do you think 10 out of 10 way more fun to watch games they fly by now it's it's not a slog and i've had so many casual uh friends of mine casual fans who are just like i'm watching more often because the games just go they go by a little bit faster yeah, I, I've told this story about my my son, Jake, who's my focus group of one. Uh, he didn't watch <laughs> games in the past. He does not miss a pitch of the Braves games now because they move. And he doesn't. Yeah. he's not sitting there trying to fill time between, you know, 45 seconds between pitches when guys are just dawdling. Sarah, what do you think? I'm going to go 201. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, there's so much more entertaining. They fly by. It's great. All right. Uh, Jess. Uh, I need you to handicap. I've asked Tim to uh, acknowledge his wrong pick, be- wrong picks before the season started in the uh, AL East in the National League Central, uh, and uh, sort of recast where he would pick them now. What do you make of the National League West? The Dodgers take over first place on the last day before the All Star break. The Diamondbacks have been sliding a bit of late. Giants have been surging. What do you think? Um. Thank goodness. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> um it, I mean, the NL West has been so interesting. And I know we've seen that kind of across, you just talked about the AL East, but I mean, just the fact that Diamondbacks did what they did, which makes it so much more exciting of a season. I think the Giants to me are the biggest surprise, but I personally feel good when, and it's either the Dodgers or the Padres, because when you look at star power, you look at just overall talent. If you want, we just talked about the sport, getting that attention, getting more fans, people watching. You also want them, drive them to watch the stars. And, you know, because the Padres have struggled, you know, I think they will start to get back on track. They're starting to show signs of that for sure. The Dodgers are a team that is very different than we've seen over the last decade, but they still are a team that should be contending for that division. The fact that they were in third for what felt like a bulk of this first half, it's nice to see them back at number one, because really this is going to be to me in the back half of the season, a really, really exciting division of four teams. Oh, there, there's no doubt it, it's shaping up to be a you know a great a great race. The Padres have cut the uh, their uh, the disadvantage in the for them in the National League West to eight and a half games. Giants are two and a half games out. Dodgers ahead by percentage points in a virtual tie with the Diamondbacks. All right, what are you doing doing during the home run derby tonight? I will be on our home run derby stack cast version, which will be on ESPN too. So we have the simulcast. I think this is our gosh, like seventh or eighth year doing this. And I love it because I was even like trying to get us all to wear like the nerd nation glasses, being a Stanford person, like with the big tape in the middle, like just like coming on air <laughs> and yes, it's numbers, but like stack has become really cool. And that's like where I get excited. So we're not just like spouting out like, Hey, like these are all a bunch of numbers you're never going to understand, but actually showing the graphics and the technology to go with it. One of the unique things that we're doing is we're actually going to be able to show the trails live. This has been like a huge thing. And you know, you know, one of our bosses, Phil Orleans, how much that he loves the technology of this. So the fact that we're able to show it live on our channel. So a picture golf, like as the ball's being hit, the trail will be following with the distance, you know, with a lot of those measurements, you can kind of be able to track and trace exactly how, where hitters and the power that they're showing. 
as they're showing it instead of coming back to it um, and seeing it in like a real time trail. Um, because as you know, it's like rapid fire hitting. And so it's like, you know, being able to say, oh man, he just hit five out. Look at where he hit him. And you'll have those trails left up to be able to watch it, see it um, and kind of, kind of track. Okay. When you've had guys that spray it all over the field or the Deadpool hitters, you know, how they're doing it, long fly balls, which as you know, always hurts you versus the, like the line drive, just exit below. So stuff like that, I think, um, that's unique, never been done. Um, it's always fun to experiment with and do cool stuff on our side. Based on the information you've heard, who hits the longest home run tonight? How far does it go? Gosh, um, I would say Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, yeah, that was my pick. Yeah, just because of how hard he hit. It's interesting. He doesn't, when you look at the number of home runs that have been hit in this field, like he's in like middle of the pack to the lower end. It's just how freaking hard he hits the ball and he can get some serious launch and he's the kind of guy we've seen him on the stage before where you'll see him just like i'm gonna just lay into i i don't care if i lose but if it's about hitting the ball and absolutely annihilating it i'll take one and i could see vlad being like i will go all in on making sure that mine is hit further than anyone else's you know what's funny, Jess? He uh, in this Statcast uh, data that was uh, passed along by our friend Sarah Langs. Uh, in terms of the eight competitors in this event, he has the lowest average trajectory of his home runs by far among all the guys who are in this competition. But I'm with you. I, I feel like that he has, you know, in part because of ex- his experience growing up around the park. He you know was in this event in 2019, had that epic showdown versus Pete Alonso. It feels like he can turn it on anytime you want. So with that in mind, who did you pick for tonight? Well, I picked Vlad. (laughs) Yeah. I, I feel like he's shown in rounds how dominant you talked about 2019. Um, And when you've seen him an early, he's like absolutely dominated. I felt like hit more home runs than anyone in his particular round. And then he just runs out of gas. I feel like he's learned, you know, he's got his manager, you know, Yep. Yeah. And I can't think the last time we've seen a manager, uh, maybe, you know, this buster throw to their player, like show up and be like, yeah, I'm not taking days off. I want to come and be a part of this. So I feel like there's been this like internal conversation of like, okay, if I'm going to do this again, I'm going to win the whole dang thing. And because he's gone head to head with Pete Alonzo, which I think is still the probably favorite, even though he lost last year, but the two time champ, you know, in the last, you know, the two before that, I feel like he's the guy to be and Vlad's the best one to understand how to beat him. So, well, I pick Pete uh, because I think it's easy to go favorite, even though he lost to Julio Rodriguez (laughs) last year, it was the easy pick. I had a fun conversation with him over the weekend that I referenced with, uh, with Tim, when I asked him about if he's changing up anything, Jess, uh, you know, his regimen his uh, you know, to between rounds, that sort of thing. He goes, no, I just plan on hitting more home runs than anybody else. Like he loves this event and he has, uh, he has such confidence. So I'm, um, uh, yeah, I'm fired up to watch this tonight. I wanted to ask you, he takes it really seriously. I think that's like the biggest thing that's jumped out about him. And I know Bryce Harper did this the year he won. Like he was always running down to the cage with his dad, like underneath the stadium, you know, in DC, just like, like, like as if like he was training for the world series in that moment, you know? Um, to try to win the Derby, but you watch Pete and as much as he's dancing and kind of trying to stay relaxed, it's part of like his entire method and ridiculous focus to be able to win this entire thing. That's why he's here. That, that's a great way to describe it. Actually. You know, you've heard those stories about Daniel day Lewis being the method actor who needs to be Abraham Lincoln 24 hours a day to make it happen. I think yeah. that's Pete in this event. You're you're 100 right. Uh, before you go, I, I wanted to ask you about some player you know well, Mookie Betts. I told you the story about how when I asked him about doing this, and he was like, "I still don't want to do it." And our friend Alden Gonzalez uh, wrote a great piece today in which he's totally downplaying his chances. We asked Dave Roberts, uh, Dodgers manager, he was like, "Nah, he's got no chance." I texted with Alex Cora, his former manager in Boston. He's like, "Nah, he has no chance." And yet. Clayton McCullough and he were working over the weekend. And I must say, Jess, there's part of me that thinks Mookie is completely sandbagging us. And this is someone who's bowled 300 repeatedly. Uh, and as Clayton said to me, I'd never bet against him in an athletic competition, yeah. whether it's ping pong, whether I, I'm trying to remember the other sport that, oh, golf. 
Uh, he, he's like, nah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? He's a lightweight in a group of heavyweights. Well, and he, he sandbags himself all the time. Like if you talk to him at any point ever, he never thinks he's good enough. Like it's incredible. It's humility. Like, and you know, a lot of guys have that yeah. trait where they lack that, that confidence that shocks you when you see the talent and what they are capable of. So it doesn't surprise me that he's going, he's coming into this thinking there's zero chance I have of winning, but guaranteed when he gets into that box, like it's going to be to give 100% of everything that he's got. And Mookie Betts is one of those freak people. We looked at like just measurements as far as weight, height, like he's the smallest participant that we've ever had when you think about like the amount of pounds. So you've seen like the height at like five, eight, maybe five, nine, you know, in this competition many times, but he is, he is a small guy and, you know, and, and he doesn't have this like massive chest or this huge, you know, Bregman who's maybe the same height, but you know, you have all these like big giant muscles. He's got these, this hand speed, which to me, Buster, when I think about just being able to on repeat, when you've seen it, when you just kind of get in a roll, it's like, Oh my gosh, they hit that slot. And then it's like, ching, 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 ching. I see Mookie doing that because for him, it isn't full body, it's hands. And if he just gets his hands into that right slot, he can repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And it doesn't matter how big you are. It's kind of the beauty of we all talk about with baseball. I totally agree with you. And it's why I think uh, I said to Clayton when I talked to him, see if you agree with me on this. Uh, I, I told Clayton that I feel like he's Mookie's one chance. If he gets on a roll and he puts the ball in the same spot, I could see him having a barrage the way that Lance Berkman did. Was it back in 2004, 2005 when he kept hitting the Crawford boxes over and over and over and over again? And yep. he might surprise people. Yep. And that's exactly how I see it happening. Like just barely clearing nothing. Like you're not going to see these moonshots, but just him getting into that rhythm where it's like, pow, 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 pow. pow. Next thing you know, it's 25. <laughs> All right, Jess. Uh, I will see you at the park later. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, Buster. Thanks. Here's Mike Cousins speaking with Twins manager Rocco Baldelli. Let's start with today's starter, Sonny Gray. And pitching has really been so important for this team this year, especially in his age 33 season. He's really been phenomenal. And what have you seen from him this year that's allowed him to have such a good season? Well, Sonny was, uh, was, he was really good for us last year. But uh, towards the end of the year, we sat down, we talked about a few things uh, about just how well he's still throwing the ball and he he looked great and he said he really wanted to focus going into this year uh in the offseason to have the best possible you know chance going forward the best possible year and, and future that, that he can in this game he came back in great shape so in spring training he showed up he was throwing the ball incredibly you know right off the bat and it was it's been kind of a precursor to everything that's come he's been locked in he's thrown great he's going to be our all-star this year and uh, everything we could ask for from him on the field competitive competitiveness wise all over the place he's been he's been great John with twins manager Rocco Baldelli before they take on the Orioles here on ESPN radio it's been about a week now you've had Carlos Correa in the leadoff spot and that seems like it's been a positive change for your team yeah I, I think it's been a good move for for him and for everybody he uh he has great at bats, so he's he's an obvious candidate always to hit leadoff. But it's not something he's really done uh, uh, much of in his career at all. So um, we talked to him. He said, "Whatever the team needs, I'm ready to go." So we, we put him on up there, and and since then, uh, I think he's really uh, you know set the tone for us in a lot of ways. He's had good at bats himself. He shot the ball all around the field, line drives all over the place, good at bats. Really, what we're looking for is someone to to go up there and, and just show the show the way for the rest of the guys as far as what we want, and he's done that. There's always a lot of curiosity about what the future holds for Byron Buxton and whether he's going to be able to play center field. What's the latest on if he'll be able to do that this year? Well, Buck's doing well. He's in he's in the lineup for us uh, every day, which is really what we want. That's really our main goal is to keep him on the field and keep him playing. Uh, the odds that he's going to be out in the in the field anytime in the very near future, he's probably not going to play in the outfield anytime soon. I don't want to close the door on him playing the outfield this year, um, but we're going to have to keep working through some things and and you know keep working physically and get him uh, moving in a, in, a, in a you know slightly better direction before we can have that full on conversation. But as of now, and going back to spring training, our main goal was to get four or five at-bats from him every day and keep him going. And as of now, he's been able to do that. And lastly, you've got the opportunity. You went out in this series to take first place into the All-Star break. It's a long season from February to November, if you're lucky. What are your plans for a couple of days of maybe relaxation? 
Well, my uh, my wife and I are gonna stay here in Minnesota. We're gonna we're gonna chill out. Uh, my parents are gonna come in and help out with the little one, uh, and my wife's pregnant. So any help we can get right now, we're bringing in as much help uh, as we possibly can. It's gonna be kind of a a, a chill uh, environment uh, in 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 Minneapolis, and uh, that's really gonna be it. L- low key, the more low key, the better. No big trips or anything this year, and then we'll be ready to go for the second half. Rocco Baldelli, thanks so much. Absolutely, thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion writes in, As a fan, it's disappointing to see Yuri Perez be optioned to the minors when he has been one of the best pitchers this season. Are there any studies that back up that pitchers of his age need reduced workloads early in their careers? Very disappointing considering Sarah Lang said she would start him in a playoff game over Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, and he'll be back in the big league soon. You know, this is to, you know, manage his, I'm sure, service time, manages his workload and his innings. And so you you kind of get that. And have there been studies? Sure. All teams have been trying to find the holy grail on ha- how to handle young pitching. But I think uh, to, it goes back to this. You know what? If we don't pitch him, he won't get hurt. <laughs> you know, wow. I, I remember Billy, Billy Bean once saying to me that when uh, innings limits were brought up in his organizational meetings, he was like, can someone tell me is, you know, is the magic number 170 is 168 is 175. So anyone who puts specific numbers on it, they're kind of just guessing. Right. And you know this, mm-hmm. if you don't pitch them, they're not going to get hurt. Simple formula. Golf Life Rag writes in, do White Sox fans have any hope that Rick Hahn is fired instead of promoting himself like Kenny Williams did at the end of this disaster? Chris Getz would literally be Williams 3.0. Yeah, and just to double back, I thought it was something else, uh, DeSalvo. Uh, Remember Tim Lincecum, Giants pitched the hell out of him. He's throwing like 250 innings a year from the time he got to the big leagues. And they won the World Series, and he was great with them. He won a site, you know, I think a couple Cy Young Awards. And then he broke down. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it feels like there's tread on a tire about the White Sox. There's not going to be changes. We've talked about this. Jerry Reinsdorf, their owner, is the most loyal owner in professional sports. And so don't expect any changes at all. Mm, that's tough. Brian Stone King, Stone King, emerging back in the tweets here. He writes in, I have no interest in the home run derby. And lately, I've lost interest in the all-star game, too. It used to matter for something real, league pride. Now with interleague play, players laughing about it and uh, having a good time. is just lame. I'll check Major League Baseball again next Friday. Oof. Now, Brian, Brian, I would say this. I think the home run derby's fun. Like yeah. the byplay we're going to see tonight, we're taping this on Monday morning. The byplay that we're going to see tonight between Randy Rosarena and Adolis Garcia is going to be fun, right? Yeah. Julio oh, yeah. Rodriguez with a crowd with Pete Alonso, that's going to be fun. Mookie Betts sandbagging all of us, saying, I got no shot to win. I, I, and to see him go out tonight, you know he's going to try like crazy to win. This is a guy's bold 300. That's going to be fun. So I think the Derby, I, I don't, uh, Brian, I don't, I, I kind of look at the Derbies being like, I don't get that one. Like the Derby is fun and our yeah. ratings are probably going to be the highest for any baseball show this year. Uh, All-Star game, I kind of get. Like I'm doing the game, All-Star game on radio and, and I'm going to enjoy that talking with players. But I mean, for years and years and years, uh, the, the, the aim for the leagues was to win the game. And all you have to do is go back and look at box scores from, you know, the 70s and the 80s. The best players were in the game in the eighth and ninth inning. And mm-hmm. I, I still think that's better for the product if they get the managers, they get the player association on board with getting the game back to that. Because that was awesome. I don't want to see Mike Trout for one plate appearance or Shohei Otani for two plate appearance and then he flies. Everyone wants to watch the guy. Leave him in the game. I'm with you. Elizabeth Hart at eHart Tweets writes in, should Major League Baseball have an entire skills competition as a part of All-Star Week? I'd love to see a sprint speed comp, fastest to first, second, hardest throw, maybe fastest pitch, anything else. I don't know if I'd be that crazy about it. It would be more for like in, you know, people that are there. It's kind of, you know, the NBA skills competition, not super exciting, but... All right, Elizabeth uh, and Taylor, I'm going to date myself because I'm real old. I, I remember when they did have a skills competition oh. and then somebody got hurt and then it all went away. And that's the way it's going to be. Like all these teams sort of grit their teeth through the WBC. They're not going to grit their teeth through a skills competition. Last one for today, Matthew Porto at 30-year-old Mulberry writes in, who's the greatest player ever who also was a home run derby winner? I went through the list there, Buster. I, I threw a couple at you. Who is the greatest player that also won a home run derby? 
Well, and then you get into the whole PD thing. I mean, Bonds obviously is the most accomplished player who ever did it. I personally think of, in terms of the Home Run Derby, who was the preeminent star in the history of the Home Run Derby, there's no doubt it's Ken Griffey Jr. You know, when he hit the warehouse, yep. that felt like it launched the Home Run Derby uh, into another stratosphere. Does that make sense? Yes, and I love your unintentional pun, I'm assuming, there as well. Well, I was halfway through it, and then I realized it was a good one. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the recognition on that, Sarah. What do you, uh, who would you on that list that Taylor compiled? Who would you compile? Uh, would you anoint as the all-time home run the derby guy? I mean, obviously, I agree with you. It's Ken Griffey Jr. He had the most derby runs or derby wins ever. So I mean, you can't really. It's a pretty no brain, pretty much no brainer for me. I yeah, Pete Alonso. Would you agree with me? He has a chance to be that guy. Because there's like no end in sight for him, which I said to him, I talked to Pete on Saturday and I, and before we got started, I said, look, before we get into my questions, I just want to say, it's so great that you care this much, you know, because mm-hmm. it's an important event. You've hit more home runs than anybody in baseball since you debuted. And it's really cool that you did. And, and Pete, uh, as I would expect, was kind of like, yeah, okay, that's really nice. Let's, what are your questions? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to move on with my day. And he was totally polite, but I definitely felt that like I, I'm busy and, and uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Pete's your guy too, man. Brushing you off there. No, he's, he was just no, 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 no. I totally I know. get it. Yeah. I'm excited for it. We'll uh, we'll be back tomorrow. So a uh, different kind of schedule this week. We'll be back tomorrow, recap the home run derby, and then we'll come back on Friday for the uh, the final show of the week. We'll take our own little all-star break. and Because uh, normally not a lot to talk about with the all-star game itself. No, although I do kind of wonder if we're going to have some trades uh, as we get Ooh. later in the week. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Jess, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, They're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.